the crucial questions in life are not what questions, what do I do? They're who questions. Who do I follow? Who do I serve? Who do I love? Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always, and forever love. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about the people and places that shape us. Our guest is Anne Snyder, editor-in-chief of Comment Magazine, host of the podcast The Whole Person Revolution, and widely published in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and many more. Anne grew up overseas as I did, so we both share a cross-cultural childhood. My African childhood certainly shaped the way I see the world, and Anne shares how her childhood abroad in Hong Kong and Australia also shaped her. She talks about the power of community and environment to shape the way we see the world, to shape our habits and our character. But what is character? Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, Perhaps a man's character is like a tree and his reputation like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing, end quote. But what forms character in us? Anne shares the results of some research she undertook and the three consistent traits that unfailingly showed up in the formation of character. It's fascinating. I can't wait for you to hear it. And it also makes me think about the wonderful hope that St. Paul gives us in the book of Philippians. He says very clearly, it's ultimately not our work, it's God's work. Quote, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. End quote. Anne is thought-provoking and inspiring, and I know you'll be as fascinated and challenged as I was by what Anne has to share. So without further ado, please welcome my friend, and now yours, Anne Snyder. I was born in the U.S., born in Boston, and shortly thereafter moved overseas. I lived in Hong Kong and Australia as a kid till early teenager. And so there, you know, I lived a certain kind of, you know, necessarily cross-cultural life at a young age. And then my own home was also kind of an added layer. My mother had grown up as a missionary kid in Peru, South America. Um, My father had kind of sat between the worlds of like middle-class New Jersey and farming Ohio. But my family dinner table often revolved around this observation that all people are products of their culture. And we would just like talk about that and debrief about it as a family, like a little nuclear family. Almost every day it felt like from as early as I can remember. And it was just sort of a a way of expressing curiosity and kind of attunement to questions of how one's environmental conditions shape your way of seeing the world, shape your habits and your character. And I think all that, no doubt, had a deep impact on the way in which I approach people today. But I feel like it's part of my calling somehow. I think having grown up 
exposed to just the powerful ways cultural conditions shape us, I, I try to approach that with like compassion and, and also that I don't have all the answers, but that there's a way like committed to believing that deep down we actually do have shared longings and there is sort of some law imprinted on our hearts that if we can find a way to translate and get beneath people's own stories, um, that you might actually be able to find some, some common grounds. I think we don't live in a time when the word institution, though it may get used a lot, like I live in a city like D.C., which I feel like throws that word around a lot, (laughs) but it's just not a glamorous or sexy word, especially for young people. But I don't think I understood the importance of institutions until I experienced um, kind of a series of fairly dramatic losses all at once that occurred in my own life, late 20s. And it was like losses of formative communities, narratives, and scripts, actually. And, And with the sort of erosion of that that fairly dramatically and suddenly, I just suddenly became aware that without institutions to shape the backdrop of what we take for granted, like things like moral norms and habits, both shallow and deep, and the way we order our loves and just our simple need to be interdependent with others and to attach, like without, without something beyond ourselves creating that map for us within which we live and work and find purpose and meaning, we have to create that infrastructure on our own. And that is just way too difficult a task for most of us to do. I just, somewhere in my late 20s, early 30s, in sort of the taking away of certain kinds of institutions, I've had this sort of exile, not exile exactly, but like a wilderness period. And I just realized you have family in school and then you've got institutions of a profession or a craft. And then somewhere in there, you create your own family, which are often built off the models of our first families. And then around all this is this like broader sea of political institutions and voluntary associations and neighborhood co-ops and churches and synagogues. And each one of these comes with certain rules and obligations that tell us how to do what we're supposed to do. And as we go through that process, like a gem tumbler, we become who we are, even though we're often layered by all these institutions. And they're not like traffic rules. They're just, they're rules that wind up being like deeply woven into the identity of each one of us who practice them. But they ideally hold us, they accompany us in our suffering. They, you know, they give us second chances and they give us something beyond ourselves, like beyond the self to work towards, usually in some like they coordinate the way in which we collaborate with others or the way we commune with others or the way we're chiseled by others. In my own set of like sort of the wilderness period I invoked and losses that wound up leading to a time of deep discernment about future choices I needed to make. And I was sort of given actually through a place of work, um, but that also became a bit of a family and I was like, oh, this place is giving me like through people, through wise people, through new exemplars, through a broader way of seeing truth and the good and forgiveness and all that. It's giving me myself like a second chance to find a fresh purpose that actually is going to tie into my sort of original identity that has been so wounded and robbed or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever. I was interested in like, what are the pathways to forming the will and the mind and the heart and soul of an individual such that he or she, you know, will be equipped to navigate life and all of its complexity and sort of ups and downs with courage and hope. I went around on like this huge listening tour all around the U.S. I would just ask, you know, please describe the development of your own character. And what was fascinating was how consistent 
the pattern was of how they responded. The stories were different, but they would say, first, they would always cite the presence of like a loving authority figure at an impressionable time of their lives. This could be a parent or a coach or a teacher or grandparent. And second, they always, almost always, like tended to recall some difficult struggle that forever after defined them, both kind of in the scars it left, but in the strength it built, spine it built. Um, And third, they would always refer to a time when they became inspired to serve a cause greater than themselves, and they would serve that cause with commitment and passion. The temptation is to want to control the outcomes and to find the formula or the pattern that you could just like replicate the heck out of. Like, what are the conditions that that bring out your best self, what's usually going on. And I I was struck by how the audience I was writing for like desperately wanted to like turn this into a hard science. And I kept having to say like, I can name principles and ingredients for you. Like I think places that have rituals are better than those who don't. And places that figure out a way to enable psychological safety are better than those where there's a lot of backstabbing. But um, I kept trying to say to any kind of institutional leader who was interested in this, I was like, you can't manufacture things like love or struggle (laughs) and get authentic character. Like the three-part pattern of like how an individual gets shaped doesn't translate into some machine where you put in raw materials and you push out a perfect product. Life is just too surprising and mysterious and we have emotions and there's high stakes and some of the most character-forming moments. So life is always molding our character and you can't control life. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the bio aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. I think there's this mystery about love versus rules. Like, how do we, I often say, like, beauty blooms in framed spaces. It was like something that came to me. I was in a garden once and it was just so gorgeous, but it was like framed by a gate and there was some order in it, but then there was this like magical chaos, like holy chaos that seemed to unfurl. And it's just this like, deep hope that I can't quite explain that somehow God is always working in our suffering that, you know, as reality seems to fracture and relationships break and countries shudder and the earth on which we live is begging us to take better care of it, you know, and all of this somehow that Christ is still present and he's not just present, but he's, he's actually still healing and walking with us and walking into the fray, like into the mess of it all and dying and resurrecting. And that that last thing is the final word. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallyloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram 
at Sally Lloyd-Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello, it's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.